thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who can start a fire with an ice cube, Mike <laughs> Vandebogard. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of quick announcements. First, I would like to give a couple shout-outs to new Patreon members. So we've got Carissa Lamont. Uh, how do you think that goes, Joe? You, you, I like how you practice this, too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Carissa... La Monaco. La Monaco. We're going to go with it. La Monica. La Monaco. Go. Uh, <laughs> Jen Thompson and Julie Bailey. So thank you so much for uh, supporting the show. Um, we're, uh, we're just talking to uh, another podcast recently, and we're thinking about maybe next you're going to CrimeCon. Ooh, uh, in Orlando. In Orlando. We're like 80% there. Yes. I think we're 80% there. It, it looks pretty fun. So... Um, and also, I'd like to give an episode uh, sh- suggestion shout out to. I'm going to butcher this name too, uh, Francisco Espinoza. I, th- I, th- I think you got it. You, th- you, you, you like didn't trust in yourself, but yeah. you actually got it. It's Francisco Espinoza. Espinoza. And uh, as we always say, um, we love getting episode suggestions. I think our last like eight episodes have been from listener suggestions. So. Uh, you can go to our website and email us. You can message us on any of the social medias. Uh, it sometimes takes us a while to get to your episode suggestion, but we will get to it. Yeah, we have a lot of fans now, and a lot of suggestions are coming in. Yeah, we're getting quite a few. Um, and finally, uh, the um, Gwen Hasselquist. So obviously Joe and I are in the process of interviewing people, and we're hoping to have that episode out in the next month or so. I'm I'm hoping. Yeah, we were at Andy's place planning it all out, so we're we're, we're taking time and yeah, eating up record what would have been recording time and planning time to make sure we get this thing right. Uh, but another fellow true crime podcast actually reached out to us. They're called it's called the Luminal Podcast, and they cover more stories that um, you know no one else is covering. Not necessarily kind of the stuff we're doing, but a very interesting podcast. They're going to actually. Uh, talk about the case a little bit on their next episode, which I believe is next Wednesday. Um, and they know some other podcasts. They're going to spread the word about Gwen's case. And I think Joe and I kind of always went into this. Uh, the goal is to get as mu- much exposure to this case as possible. Yeah, I couldn't be happier that they're all yeah. doing this. That's, so, that's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, you know the ultimate goal is to eventually get the local law enforcement to reopen the case. So um, if any of you listening have your own true crime podcast, reach out to us and, uh, you know, help spread the word about this case. So absolutely. Yeah. That's all I had, Joe. All right, everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown.
October 14th, 2016. A father, son, and an uncle went on a routine hunting trip in the Oregon wilderness. Deciding they could cover more ground, the group split up and planned to meet at the truck at the end of the day. When the father did not return, his son Trevor set out to try and find him, only to go missing as well. Join us this week as we discuss the strange disappearance of Sean Higgins. So the location of our story this week is the, and I'm going to butcher this one. This one, we practiced, <laughs> we, we practiced it. it. We I'm actually still, practiced this. The Rogue River, Siskiyou National Forest. I think you got it. I think I got it. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see what Google says. Siskiyou National Forest. There see, we go. I, I feel like that was a little wrong. Just because the inflection. You yeah. put You put the wrong emphasis on the right syllable. <laughs> syllable. <laughs> Oh boy. So that is the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest. I'm going with that. Yep. And did I say Oregon right? It's Oregon, Oregon. right? Oregon. Oregon. Oregon, like the like an organ. I know that, like that. Uh, the caller she yeah. explained it, and yep. I, I said it, and I was like, "Oh, I hope I got it right." Yeah, Oregon. Uh, yes, Oregon. We used to say Oregon. Oregon. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's wrong. That's wrong. All right, all right. So we'll get we'll get down to brass tacks. Sorry about that. So, the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest. Uh, it's an area known as the High Ridge near the top of Shasta Coastal Drainage. Costa. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm missing that. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, it's near the Bear Camp area. So this is where the area that our, our people went missing. Uh, the area, It's roughly 45 miles east of Gold Beach, Oregon. Uh, it's about 1.8 million acres, which is larger than the state of Delaware. So the forest extends into California from Oregon. Eight congressionally designated uh, eight congre- what eight, is that? What eight is congressionally designated wilderness areas are oh, within the forest. Oh, like within that one? Yeah. Okay. I was reading it as a bullet, and I'm like, that's a weird <laughs> sentence. So the Rogue River National Forest was first established in 1906 and then combined with the Siskiyou National Forest in 2004. So they recently joined forces to become a major yes. area. Uh, they see about... 915,000 visitors per year. That was last checked in 2006. Uh, so we're, what we're going to do is, because it's not a heavily trafficked area, there's not a lot of stuff going on, we're going to do some interesting facts about national forests. So national forests sustain more than 3,000 species of fish and wildlife, and more than 7 in 10 of all Americans live within 100 miles of a national forest. National forests are home to 122 ski areas and countless miles of backcountry access. National forests contribute $13 billion annually to the economy. At 17 million acres, Alaska's Tongass National Forest is America's largest national forest. I would have just guessed Alaska had the largest yeah. one. I think they can just, like, throw a dart in three spots and whatever <laughs> triangle to make. Like, there you go. Yeah. it's, it's No one's living there. <laughs> the Forest Service manages nearly 200 million acres of land across the U.S. That's roughly half the size of Alaska. Which also goes to show how big Alaska is. Yeah. Kansas and North Dakota have no national forests, only national grasslands. Puerto Rico is home to only tropical rainforest in the national forest system. So that's the only place you can go to in the national forest system. I didn't know that that was counted because it's yeah. like not a state, but it's kind of, what is it called? 
it's a U.S. territory. Okay. Does that mean like we own it technically, but like we don't want to admit it? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to misspeak, but it's uh, they get you know a lot of the protection from the United States, but they're not a state, so they don't have some of the same voting rights okay i know but, that's like when we hit it big we're gonna move the podcast down there from what i hear we gotta like ditch Puerto taxes Rico. and stuff right like, to, to duck out that's what that's what i heard you do because you know the pot will be making so much money yes uh the tuskegee national forest in alabama is the smallest forest in the system at only eleven thousand acres so let's talk about the climate the climate in the forest changes with the elevation as you move inland from the coast. The coast range in temperate, uh, temperate rainforest where rainfall ranges from 60 inches to over 100 inches at higher elevations. Rainfall occurs mostly from October through June. Further inland, annual precipitation is approximately 30 inches at the lower elevations of the Siskiyou Mountains. So that's a pretty big difference just from being by the coast. Like yeah. They're getting all the rain right away and then it drops off dramatically. Yep. Uh, much of the precipitation comes from October to April in the form of rain at low elevations and snow at the higher elevations, where very cold temperatures are possible. Uh, although snow is possible in the lowest elevations, it is infrequent. Late spring, summer, and early autumn tend to bring clear, sunny days with moderate temperatures. And temperatures near the coast seldom exceed 75 degrees in the summer, and snow is rare in the winter. Inland, the ocean influence, influence diminishes, and summer temperatures frequently reach the 80s and 90s. A snowfall of over 10 feet is common in the higher <laughs> elevations of the Cascades in the winter. That is a lot of snow. Yeah. That's a lot of snow. Good skiing snow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the terrain, the wilderness where Sean went missing lies within the 1.7 million acre Rogue River, Siskiyou National Forest, it's listed as an unforgiving country with high, sharp ridges and dense stands of cedar and fir. So it's dense, very, what would you say, like that when the escalation increases quickly, it's very abrupt, it's like mm -hmm. very jagged. Yeah. The forest itself is composed of two distinct geological provinces, the Cascade Range and the Kalamath and Siskiyou Mountains. I think it's Klamath. 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 I, I've, I, this, we got in trouble for that one yeah. before, too, because I, I screwed that one up. Klamath, <laughs> Klamath. and the Siskiyou Mountains. <clears throat> Do you know we're saying Siskiyou, right? We're just saying we're we're saying it right. There's yeah. some inflection we're missing, and we're going to get a ton of phone calls. <laughs> yes, whatever that number is, make sure you call the number. Uh, the Cascade Range. Uh, it's east of Interstate Five. The forest contains the upper reaches of the Rogue River, located along the slopes of volcanic Cascade Range. The Cascade Range is dominated by snow-capped volcanic peaks, such as the 9,495-foot Mount McLaughlin, located within Sky Lakes Wilderness. Although the southern Cascades tend to have fairly gentle topography, several deep canyons such as Middle Fork and the Rogue and South Fork of Little Butt Creek, Butte Creek, are located <laughs> in this part of the forest. It took me a while to see that last E. The area's extensive forest of Douglas fir, ponderosa pine, and other confers are punctuated by frequent meadows, lakes, and meandering streams. What they're basically saying, it is gorgeous out yes. there. <clears throat> the Siskiyou Mountains, west of Interstate 5, the forest resides within the ancient and complex geology of the Klamath and Siskiyou Mountains. This is a country of narrow canyons and high steep ridges. The elevation range from near sea level to the coast, uh, at the coast to 7,533 feet at the summit of Mount Ashland, which, which is the highest point in Oregon west of, west of the Cascades. The, the variety of environments includes open oak woodlands, dense conifer forests, and dramatic rocky ridge tops. So what are the types of animals we'll see there? 
black-tailed deer, elk, black bear, bobcats, mountain lions, uh, hundreds of bird species. There are bald eagles, and there's actually seals near the ocean. So they could have been hunting a number of things. I think that they were, uh, well, I'll get into it in the timeline, but they were hunting black-tailed deer. But I've never seen a black-tailed deer. Uh, or I might have, but I've not. I mean, we only it, have white-tailed. Yeah, we have white-tailed deer here. So uh, the terrain, the tree line in South Cascades ranges from 8,000 to 8,500 feet and lowers as you go north down to 6,000 feet. That's really low. Yeah. A 6,000-foot tree line as you go north? That seems really low. What's Colorado like? 10,000? Uh, we've looked into it. Yeah, it's it's higher. Yeah, it's like um, 10, around 10. 10 yeah, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it, it's higher than that. I love when you get to the edge and it's the tiny trees. Yeah. Like the trees are like, I can only grow to two feet. Yeah. But it's like full tree. Yeah. Uh, exposure, there's weather at upper elevations above the tree line, which we, we talk about a ton. Uh, as soon as you leave the tree line, you're exposed to the elements if storms come around or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, like we said, they get sometimes upwards of 10 feet of snow at upper elevations. So, yeah. Uh, you'd need to be prepared for yes. that in the winter. Yeah, you'll get <laughs> you'll just get stuck. You can't even walk through that if snow's falling heavily heavy, heavily enough. Yes. Uh, uh, difficulty. According to the All Trails report, there are dozens of trails ranging from easy to very hard. Yeah, when I was on All Trails, they were over. They had over eighty trails um, for this forest. Yeah, and I, I didn't even pull up a ton of them, but they're just saying here are the the top trails, and there's yeah. eighty three of them, and, and they're it, showing you like the top ten. The, there's all kinds of ranges of difficulty. There are some really tough ones that would, you know, test even the best, you know, backcountry hikers. And then there's some really easy ones you could take your little kids on. And um, looks like a pretty cool place to hike. Yeah, it looks beautiful. I'm yeah. just scrolling through what the All Trail says at the top ten. Yeah, and I would totally go there. I love this waterfall. Yeah, it, the Coquille River Falls Trail. The crazy thing about national forests and all the years we've done backcountry hiking, climbing, all that stuff, we've never considered national forests for one of our trips. We're always going to one of the big parks. Yeah, but, it's like they have bad marketing teams. But we've we've <laughs> covered a lot of cases in national forests, and every every forest we've covered looks amazing. And, I would I would spend a week in each one of them. What's ridiculous is we love going where there's not a lot of people. Yeah. National forests are probably where you want to go because no one's hearing about them. Like, this is where we need to go. Like, look at this. Look at this. National Creek Falls Trail. Yeah. That that looks beautiful. Look at that flower. (laughs) You can't see that anywhere else. No, that waterfall looks beautiful, though. I totally would go here. It looks cool. I want to go swimming in there. It's probably super cold. Yeah, that's all right. I do cold showers. I do that thing where you take cold shower and it gets your circulation going. and (laughs) It's crazy. All right. So um, there's miles of trail. Uh, they go through the whole area. There's mountain biking, fishing and swimming, backpacking, day hiking, uh, ride and camp on horseback available. Tons of campgrounds and caverns are scattered across uh, the Siskiyou. Uh, you can reserve them. A few such as Oak Flat Campground stay open year-round while others are closed during the winter. So if you can access it, it's pretty much open. Yeah. So we're going to get in the character profile of Sean. Sean Higgins went missing on October 14th of 2016. He was a male. His age was 41 at the time of the disappearance. He was 6 foot, 200 to 210 pounds. He had brown hair and blue eyes. Uh, He was missing the fingertips on his left index and middle fingers, has a tribal tattoo on his right arm, and a large scar on his left knee and scars on his abdomen. Uh, I have no uh, research into why he's missing his fingertips either, but I found that kind of uh, interesting. His index and middle finger, was he in the military? Uh, no, but I think he, he's in, now I, I read it somewhere. He's in some kind of trade. 
So he might have uh, lost okay. him through work. Okay. Um, but I don't know. All right. Uh, because Sean thought this would be a quick trip, he didn't take his backpack with him, which included a GPS. Yes. As are red flags as usual. Always, yeah. always, always bring your gear. Um, experience in wilderness. Uh, both, and when they say both because his uncle was there, was it both him and his uh, son? Him and his son, yeah. Okay. Both were very experienced in the wilderness. So both Sean and Trevor had a lot of experience hunting in the area. Trevor had grown up hunting in this piece of wilderness specifically, but his dad knew it even better. Another reason why his failure to show was so unnerving. Sean knew the mountains and the ridges about as well as anyone and was an expert in pursuing deer in the timber. He jokingly referred to himself as Dr. Blacktail. So he, this wasn't like a one-off trip, like we're going to nope. get into hunting, so let's check it out. Like he knew what he was doing, which we've talked about before can lead to complacency as well sometimes. So Yeah, and I mean, they, you know, the three of them, from what I read, have done this type of hunting lots of times before, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it could, if you do this over and over every year, you might get kind of complacent because nothing bad has happened yet. Yeah. But so, yeah. Okay. So, uh, just a quick list of people we're going to talk about in this case and the relationship. The victim was Sean Higgins. Uh, when you hear the name Trevor Higgins, that is the son of Sean. Will Chandler was the uncle that was there. And Stephanie Higgins is the wife of Sean and the mother of Trevor. Mike, our next partner has a product I literally use every day. I started taking AG1 because, as many of you know, I got into kickboxing and was feeling slow and sluggish on training days. I was taking more supplements than I could count, and nothing was helping. One of the fighters at my gym recommended Athletic Greens AG1 Daily Health Drink, and I've never felt better. One scoop of AG1 in the morning has me ready to take on Mike Tyson by the time I get to the gym. One serving of AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that support better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. All things very important in the world of combat fighting. Best of all, it costs less than $3 a day, from, which from my own experience is cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. For less than a cup of Starbucks, you can make an investment in your own health that I can personally vouch for. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs for your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-M-E-R g-i-n-g to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance all right so jumping right into the timeline like i like joe had mentioned earlier uh this hunting party started off on october 14th 2016 which is a friday sean his 21 year old son trevor and Trevor's, Trevor's uncle were out uh, hunting in the Shasta Costa drainage uh, area in the Bear Camp region of this forest. Uh, and their plan was roughly the following. So Sean was going to hike down this narrow footpath uh, looking for blacktail. And for a while, the footpath actually ran along the side of the road. Uh, meanwhile, Trevor, who had actually shot a, a deer the day before, would wait with the truck at the next trailhead two miles up Burnt Ridge Road um, in this region of southwest Oregon. 
so after a couple hours, they plan to uh, meet and then go drive and get their uncle, Will. Uh, Trevor's uncle, uh, so that was their uncle who they had dropped off earlier in the day. Uh, and like I said earlier, they've done this many times. So this was not something out of the ordinary. They, they knew what they were doing. Um, and they all knew that, you know, there was no reason for Sean to have taken more than an hour or so to make the hike. So, and of course, a lot of these cases, uh, a storm began to kind of bear down on the mountain this, this day, which, uh, kind of started to concern Trevor when his dad was late checking in. So it's same day now, it's 2.30 p.m., like I said, October 14th, 2016, which is Friday. Uh, the uncle, Will, shows up at the truck. Uh, Trevor, which is his nephew, and Sean, which was his brother-in-law, were supposed to pick him up three hours ago, but they never showed up. So he had to walk the seven miles down the mountain himself. So you can imagine he uh, was a little pissed off, and he was cold because, you know, the storm was starting to, you know, pick up and he got to the truck and he basically kind of yelled at Trevor and like he was quoted saying, what the hell is going on? And, but the moment he actually saw Trevor's face, he knew something was wrong. Oh, okay. So yeah, Trevor replies, uh, my dad hasn't come out yet. Um, so Will thought this was really strange because he, he said for as long as he had known Sean, he had never once failed to show up like this. So Will and Trevor agreed that they needed to look for Sean before the weather got got worse. Uh, but even now, the conditions weren't very conducive for searching. Uh, the wind was blowing really bad. Uh, they said it was blowing hard enough to shake the truck. Uh, tree limbs were coming down around them. I mean, we've Joe and I have all been up in the mountains when a storm like this kind of started. I was Mount yeah, Rainier. ones where the wind's rocking the car. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I was in a storm like that on Mount Rainier, and it was brutal. You could, it would be really tough to search for somebody in conditions like that. Um, and they were also concerned that with the amount of rain and wind and everything going on, that it, it would, wouldn't take long to erase any tracks from Sean. So they wanted to get out there and start searching right away. Uh, so with nightfall just a few hours away, Will and Trevor split up uh, in the hopes of finding Sean quickly. Now... <laughs> This, I'm going to kind of jump in, you know, I'm telling the story, but I'm going to kind of jump in with some problems I see right away. Like, first problem is Trevor and Will probably shouldn't have split up with the kind of weather that was going on and with it only being a few hours from nightfall. Well, and you're already searching for a missing person. Mm -hmm. You don't want to create the opportunity to have a second missing person. Yes. Um, But they decided to split up in hopes of finding Sean quicker uh, Trevor would start at the uh, far trailhead where he was dropped, where he dropped off his dad that morning while Will hiked in from where the truck was parked. Uh, they planned to meet in the middle after one of them had found Sean. Trevor then drove his four-wheeler nor- uh, north to the trailhead, um, but the narrow path forced him to hike from there. As he set off down the trail, he could see uh, far, he could see pretty far through the old-growth timber and the rock outcroppings. He also found the path that Sean had originally taken because Sean had ribbon marked uh, the trees and uh, Trevor ended up following that. And that's a very common thing for people to deer hunt. Uh, Usually deer hunters will, they like to find their spot out in the woods and it's usually not obviously on a trail. It's they, they kind of go bushwhacking off and in order to be able to find their, you know, deer stand, 
uh, they usually take, you know, tie little ribbons kind of on trees every 10, 20 feet so that they can, you know, find their way in and out. So that's what Sean did. Um, with, you know, the wind and the rain picking up pretty good, Trevor was quoted in say, is saying, I started to freak out. He recalls the only thing that was really going through my mind was I need to find my dad. So what's crazy is with, uh, and for those watching the video, I'm just showing some images of ribbon marking. Yeah. The fact that he did that and couldn't find his way back out. Well, uh, yeah. So and, I'm, and, I'm not going to get into theories yeah, yet, yeah, but yeah. like that's, that's, you know, I'm not going to say it's an advanced method, but it's not like he just went out storm comes in. Okay, great. Like I don't have my tracks anymore. Like, yeah. like his son found his ribbon markings in the storm. So yeah. All right. Keep going. Yeah, so uh, Trevor followed the trail for nearly an hour and a half until he reached a clearing at the top of the ridgeline. He had no idea if Will had found his dad. He'd been in such a rush to get uh, get on the track and search that he neglected to bring a cell phone, um, a compass, or a GPS. Um, so I, I'm going to pause again here. I think this is another big mistake that uh, Trevor made, and I've I've mentioned this in previous episodes that if something happens to you out in the wilderness, um, getting flustered and panicking is not going to help you survive. You want to pause, collect your thoughts, you know, take some deep breaths, and then logically think through your next moves. Because um, I had this very situation my first hiking trip in Canyonlands. Our group was lost, and we were out of water in the middle of the desert. And uh, we you know, panicked at first, but then we collected ourselves and you know, took deep breaths and figured out a way to get out of the park. And, you know, that's what you got to do. And maybe if he would have, you know, after he realized his dad was missing at the truck, be like, all right, do I have everything? Oh, GPS. Yeah, it's Compass. like, it's not, it's going to be hard because you are flustered. It could be a loved one and you yeah. want, like, you think every second matters. But the reality is if you put yourself in danger, it could be taking away from a rescue mission for other people, even if you're not totally lost. So yeah. like take the 10 seconds, take a minute. It's just that it's that long. Yeah, take, just, take that time, compose yourself. If there's people with you, talk it out, and then go make your action. Yeah, kind of like doing something like yoga breathing or, you know, like deep breaths in and out. It's like but that's <clears throat> been proven to calm people down, and you're going to make better, more rational decisions when you're in a calm state of mind versus panicked. Absolutely. So that's my only advice if anyone listening ever gets into a, you know, a scary situation in the wilderness. So, like I said, he in his kind of panicked uh, drive to go find his dad, he left uh, you know, any navigation equipment in the truck. All he had with him was his Remington 700, a knife, a lighter, and the clothes he, he was wearing while he was hunting. Uh, so from this clearing, the trail split, and though the ribbon stopped, Trevor decided to head right, believing that uh, that way led back toward the, the road. So again, I, I you know, another... Big mistake. He's not on trail. He's following a you know a ribbon trail that his dad um, tied off. We think it might have not even been shown. Yeah, but even then he was following that. Like you should t- probably take that back. Yeah, I mean with with the weather conditions and so me personally, even you know if I was looking for my dad or uncle or somebody uh, with nightfall coming, uh, if I didn't have the gear necessary, I would probably I would probably turn around and head back out because especially in the mountains. I mean, it's not like they're in northern Wisconsin where it's flat. Yep. Um, And we don't – it sounds like he doesn't have a headlamp with him. So – but he decided to, you know, head right at that clearing. Um, So 
the trees that engulfed him made it difficult to gauge where he was going, and it was getting dark very fast, and the rain was intensifying. So he became desperate to find his way back. He, he was quoted in saying, I just wanted to get to the pickup, he says. I wanted to see if my uncle found my dad. So as he was going, the underbrush was growing thicker, and you know Trevor was pushing his way through as fast as he could. After another mile or so, he stumbled upon a deep draw with a creek at the bottom. He could barely see as he uh, kind of slowly worked his way down the slope. Suddenly, his feet kicked out from under him, and he tumbled to the bottom. Uh, (laughs) After a moment, he managed to stand up and collect himself, and he was kind of shaken up but uninjured, uh, thankfully. So he looked up towards the ridges that surrounded him, um, and he, he described it as walls of blackness, and he's like, I'm lost. <laughs> um, so he, you know, he was lost, but he knew that he'd be worse off continuing blind uh, than he would be making a camp. So uh, an, a smart, really smart thing he did, and we've said this a lot in other episodes, is as soon as you come to the realization that you're missing or that you're lost, the worst thing you can probably do at that point is blindly walk around, you know, walk in any direction at that point because yep. you're already lost. You don't know where you are, especially if you don't have any navigation equipment. No, I mean, if you have a compass and know how to use it, uh, you could probably, you know, figure your way out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, if you're following it the whole way in, yeah, you can know if you're going back the right way. But uh, he made a really smart decision by deciding, you know what, I'm going to set up a camp and I'm going to try to survive as long as I can, and hopefully search and rescue will eventually find me. And that's, that's really good advice for anyone who gets lost deep Absolutely. in the wilderness. Like, stay put. Um, and if you have to move, find a spot that you think you can survive the longest. Yeah, you want to move to, like, where it's safe, but that's it. Like, yeah, if because, you're in an unsafe spot, then you want to move to a safe spot, preferably higher elevation, yeah. and then don't move. Because if they catch your trail... They're going to follow your trail. Yeah. And the less you wander, the closer you are to the beginning of your trail. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's a it's a race against the clock once you're lost, especially in the mountains and in these kinds of conditions. He is not going to survive an extended period out there. Yeah, uh, with no gear? Basically no gear. Um, you know, it's going to be getting cold and rain, you know, rain is coming down. So a uh, great decision by Trevor to stay put. Um so it goes on, you know, he tried to imagine his dad somewhere out there alone. I kept telling myself over and over that my dad had made it out, uh, that he was with my uncle. So you got to think like this kid, you know, 21 year old kid, he's you know, freaking out. He's lost. His dad's lost. Like, I can't imagine what's going through his mind. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's gotta be crazy. Um, so be panicking. Yeah. At that age. Oh yeah. Um, so the rest of the timeline, I'm going to be kind of jumping in between different timelines. So I'm going to be, um, there's going to be a search and rescue timeline. I'll try to distinguish between them. There's going to be a timeline for, uh, Stephanie, the wife, and then a timeline for Trevor, because there's, there's different stuff going on with all of these people. Um, so it's still October 14th, 2016. It's now 7 PM. The Curry County Sheriff, uh, Sheriff's office received a call on Friday, October 14th, about 7 PM, about two lost hunters in the Bear Camp area about 45 miles east of Gold Beach. Curry County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Ted Heath and several search and rescue members responded to the area and determined that the two missing 
where the father and son, both of, I believe that's Coos Bay, uh, SAR members were actually not able to deploy, to deploy into the massive area due to darkness and the weather. But they were actually still out there all night driving the roads um, in the area, you know, probably honking their horns and yelling, trying to maybe see if they can, you know, find them. But sure. the weather was so bad and, you know, it's tough um, starting a search off in the dark. Uh, so they really had no choice but to wait until, you know, first light. Mm-hmm. So we're still on the search and rescue timeline here. So now it is 10 October 15th, 2016, which is Saturday. Uh, Curry County Sheriff's SAR members, assisted by local residents with knowledge of the area, hiked into the area and spent the day in bad weather searching for both Sean and Trevor. Uh, a call was placed for additional resources from the Corsar counties along with requests for helicopters. Uh, the search, again, that day ended at dark with no sign of the men. Uh, again, the SAR members continued to drive the roads throughout Saturday night. Uh, the, Cur- the Curry Coastal Pilot... A Curry Coastal pilot actually reported that day that their vehicle was found Saturday near Squirrel Peak, about 15 miles east of Agnes. Um, so now we, we're on the same day, but we're switching over to the timeline of Stephanie Higgins. So it's October 15th, 2016 at 5 a.m. Uh, Stephanie Higgins woke to knocking on uh, her door. It was her father, David Pettit, who lived a house over. That night, Will, after failing to reconnect with Trevor, had phoned his wife back in Coos Bay, a small community on the Oregon coast where they all lived. Um, so he told me about Sean first, uh, and she flipped out. And then uh, Stephanie goes on to say, it took him a minute to tell me about Trevor. So, like, she was freaking out that her husband's, can you imagine that? Oh. Your husband's did- missing. Oh, and so is your son. Like, Yeah, that's... <laughs> I can't imagine. I like. I, I wouldn't even. Able, I'd be like, your husband and your son are missing. Like, I would have to get it over with. Yeah. Uh, so Stephanie's father and sister got got her in the car, and they set out for the Rogue River uh, Siskiyou National Forest, about three hours away. They arrived at the trailhead about an hour before rescuers. Stephanie waited and watched, hoping Sean and Trevor would come out at any moment, but no one would let her join the search, fearing she assumed that she might see something she'd never forget. So I don't think searchers – so she thinks they didn't let her on the search because, you know, what if they find a body and it's, you know, Sean or Trevor. I'm guessing they probably didn't let her on the search because we've seen this in other searches where a lot of people want to help, but they're not equipped. Yeah, if it's not flat ground, like open field where you're doing yeah. arm-in-arm, if it's more technical, it's like you could run the risk of losing. You know, regardless if it's – her family, like if it's just a person who doesn't know how to do it, yeah. Now you have to like potentially you lose resources to go search for that person, yeah, or she could get injured and exactly. Uh, so you know, probably the right decision by search and rescue. Oh, I'd be the same way though. Yeah. Like I'd be trying to get there and I'd be losing my mind if they wouldn't let me look. Yeah, because you'd feel so helpless. Yeah. Well, and she actually goes on to say that um, she felt helpless. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I didn't um, read that. Yeah, she goes. Uh, oh. If uh, she were the one who had vanished, there was no way that Sean and Trevor wouldn't be out looking for me. We are not uh, a sit-around-and-wait-for-crap-to-happen kind of people. Uh, so I feel her anguish there. I, it would be tough. You'd want to be out there looking. Uh, I, yeah. You'd so, have to, like, 
cuff me to a tree or something. Yeah, so as the morning wore on, more people came to help. Guys Sean had worked construction jobs with and friends from uh, their town. Search parties were formed, dog teams were dispatched, and reinforcements were uh, called in. So we are jumping now to uh, Trevor's timeline, same day. Uh, if this, Sorry if this gets a little confusing. There wasn't really a good way to... It's one of those TV shows where they go back to the beginning of the day but follow a new character each time? Kind of, yeah. There wasn't really a great way to tell everybody's different timeline um, other than just... Nah, jumping. this is better because if we were trying to say what everybody was doing concurrently... Really confusing. It would take forever, too. So, okay, so we are back with uh, Trevor's timeline right now. Same day, it's October 15th, 2016, um, and it's around dawn, and we know that at this point, Trevor was only about three miles away from where the search and rescue teams were operating. So that's amazing. You realize in some of these cases that people are missing aren't that far away, like... They're pretty close. Yeah. Um, well, so, it's, you can't walk very far in the woods. Yeah. It's hard. Elevation, you got thick. And these guys weren't on trails. You know, they were just walking, you know, through the middle of the woods. So yep. uh, about three miles away, Trevor woke woke up cold and wet at dawn on Saturday. Uh, in the night, he had made a shelter from down limbs and dead bark, leaning them against a tree. He tried to start a fire with wood shavings and small strips of clothing, but he couldn't get his lighter to work, and everything was damp and soaked. Um, good little advice for people is bring waterproof matches in a little canister uh, with you. Uh, I've had lighters out in the woods that have, you know, if it gets too damp, you're not going to be able to get that lighter to work. So um, it's always a good idea to bring some some waterproof matches and there's even some fire starter gel that you can that you can buy that if it's raining or if it's really damp conditions that even with that gel you could probably get a fire going. So yeah, um, unfortunately he couldn't get a, a fire going that night. So uh, it's now uh, mid morning on Saturday, October fifteenth, twenty sixteen. We're still with Trevor's timeline. So by mid-morning, lightning was uh, cracking across the sky as Trevor uh, gathered his gear and set out uh, into the storm. He headed towards where he thought the road might be, just 40 yards from the shelter, Something, but something told him to stop. Um, he went on to quote, My dad had plenty of friends who had hunted the area with him for years, he says. They could be looking for him. Plus, he trusted that his uncle had found his dad and that together they would be searching. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, so I figured I'd try to set myself up to where I could survive as long as possible. So he thought about leaving the camp he'd set up, but he decided to stay there, and he's gonna. He's like, I'm staying here until I'm dead. So hopefully someone finds me before that happens. Yeah. That's um, a tough decision. Yeah. A smart one. It's smart Good for one. him. Yeah, so he spent the rest of the day rebuilding his shelter, using an extra raincoat to better insulate the structure and to collect rainwater. He tried to make a fire again, but it was useless. There was uh, little to do but wait. Uh, Trevor passed the time in the shelter listening for noises in the distance. Um, he said it rained off and on you know, during the day and night, but whenever there was a break, he'd walk a little, call out, and wait for a response. So uh, first day, Saturday, that Trevor was in the woods, uh, he didn't see anybody, didn't hear anything. Um, so... We're back onto the search and rescue timeline. It is now uh, Sunday, October 16th, 2016. About 80 SAR members from several counties, along with family and friends of Sean and Trevor, arrived on Sunday and continued searching the area. 
The weather was still extremely bad, making it impossible for the Coast Guard to fly uh, the area due to heavy rains, winds, and persistent fog. Uh, searchers continued searching till dark once again, but no, cl- they had no clues to indicate where the two were. SAR members continued to drive the roads throughout the night. So uh, another day of full searching, no signs of either of them. We are still on the SAR timeline. It is now Monday, October 17th, 2016. So the search continued on Monday with a large mixture of uh, search and rescue personnel and non-search uh, and rescue volunteers. Again, about 80 searchers combed the areas above and below the High Ridge Trail and down into the Shasta Costa drainage. Uh, the weather was still pretty bad this day with heavy rains and fog making the search difficult. Uh, and with all the rains, the creeks and drainages were full of rushing waters, and along with the wind, made it impossible to hear uh, in the search areas. So that's the thing you don't think about, too. If there's a lot of flowing water in an area where people are searching, <clears throat> we've been around rivers and stuff on our hikes, and the closer you get, they get loud, especially after a heavy rain. So <clears throat> um, that's just another thing that kind of hampered the search. Uh, so... By the end of the 17th, uh, search and rescue, uh, again, no clues of where Sean and Trevor were, uh, and then they, so they suspended the search for the night. So we are going to stay on the same day, and we're going to jump back to Trevor's timeline. So it is now late in the day on Monday, October 17th, 2016. So this is now the fourth day that Trevor's been out in the woods counting uh, the first day that he went hunting. And he actually hiked up a hill and heard dogs barking. Uh, he blew a whistle he had made from an empty shell casing, hoping to get their attention. So you know what I'm getting from this entire story is this this kid actually is pretty savvy. You know, he even though, you know, he forgot his gear and stuff, I think we can excuse that, you know, his dad's missing. Exactly. I think he was panicking. Panicking. But, you know, he made a really good decision to stay put. Yeah. He, it sounds like he built a pretty good, uh, you know, little campsite. He you survived know. four days in cold, w- wet weather. Yeah. He, and without hypothermia <laughs> setting in yet. So that's a pretty dang good shelter and sleeping area. Yeah. I mean, he, he was able to collect rainwater to stay hydrated, which is very important. Um, he made a whistle out of an empty, you know, shell casing. I mean... Uh, pretty, uh, pretty good, good stuff by Trevor here. Um, so like we said, he, he was blowing that whistle, hoping to get their attention. Then came the sound of people talking. He yelled and blew the whistle more, but soon the word, uh, the woods fell silent. So, oh, somebody was in the area, but they just couldn't hear him. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, Did he not have his, like his gun to shoot or anything? Well, he, so he did shoot that a few times later on in the, the timeline. Here. Oh, so, he didn't have it with him? <clears throat> yeah. Well, he had, a, he had a Remington 700 with him, so he had a rifle with I'm him. I'm saying like at that time or maybe people, not, yeah. or he didn't think about it. Okay. So he, you know, he goes on to think maybe rescuers are narrowing in. He thought at mid-morning came another sign of hope. A helicopter appeared flying within 100 yards of his shelter. Oh. He ran into a nearby... But it's down trees. They probably can't see it. Yeah. So he ran into a nearby clearing and waved, like frantically waved. He signaled by firing his rifle into the air three times, but the chopper moved on. Oh, you wouldn't hear that from a helicopter. No. And, you know, Trevor goes on to say, you know, that was honestly the worst part, you know, worst point of his, you know, getting lost so far, seeing a helicopter 100 yards away and they don't, they miss him. Yeah. Um. You know, so he goes on to say it was surreal coming to terms with the thought that this might be the end, uh, that he might die before his parents and grandparents. He goes on to say, you want it 
you want to at least be able to say goodbye to everybody. Uh, though still he tried to stay calm, he had to make it back for his dad. He, he goes on to say it would destroy him if I had gotten lost out there and had never been found. So, um, you know. Uh, That's so terrible. I just can't imagine, you know, being in his position. It's got to be terrifying and demoralizing. Well, like feeling like the end is near and he feels guilty. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. That's tough. Um, so just, we have a, so October 18th, 2016, just a quick, we had a quick update on the search and rescue operation. So the search continued on Tuesday with multiple counties and local volunteers from several counties, including family and friends. Uh, several helicopters were on standby at the skies clear. So the theme of this search is that the weather was really terrible and hampered a lot of the aerial, um, searching, so jumping back to Trevor's timeline, same day, October 18th, 2016. So now this is Trevor's fifth day in the wilderness, and he actually got a break. The weather started to, you know, the weather broke and sunlight started coming down. Uh, at 10 a.m., he stripped off his damp clothes and hung them up to dry. He was sitting in the dirt when he heard another helicopter circling nearby. It came within view, and he tried to flag it down, waving a yellow bag tied to his rifle barrel but the chopper quickly disappeared. So two times helicopters flew near him close enough that he could see, and he could not get their attention. Oh, that's terrible. So uh, he was devastated. He wondered whether that was his last shot at rescue. With winter coming, um, he he knew the mountain would soon be impassable, and, you know, he's right. They they eventually do stop the search pretty soon. Yeah. Um, So... It's now October 18th, 2016 at 2.30 p.m. It's a Tuesday, Uh, so we're still on Trevor's timeline. So at 2.30 p.m., though he heard voices far off through the trees, he yelled and yelled, and he got an answer. Oh. (laughs) So search and rescue crews found uh, Trevor at the bottom of a creek suffering from severe hypothermia. So he probably... He's, he's have, right on the edge. He probably wouldn't have survived another 24 hours out there. So. Probably not. Maybe yeah. not even another few more hours. Yeah. So severe hypothermia because um, I'll get into it a little farther now, but his uh, some of his organs when he gets to the hospital they found are actually failing, including his liver and kidneys. Jeez. So, I mean, they found him about right on time. Right in time. I mean, so two men appeared in the clearing. They had been looking for him. Uh, they said... And then Trevor responded, what took you so long? Uh, so he was still joking, even with severe hypothermia and everything that's been going on. So the men had a fire built within 10 minutes, uh, by which point Trevor worked up the nerve to ask the question. He asked, are you searching for one lost person or two? And they responded, two, uh, which confirmed his worst fear. His father had never made it back to the truck. He, he thought he was going to vomit. He said, I, I had told myself for so long that my dad was out looking for me. And that he was fine, he says. So, you know, it probably kept him going, thinking yeah, that. Yeah, it sounded like that. Um, it would be demoralizing if you knew your dad was still missing while you're lost and trying to survive. Yeah. So just kind of, you know, th- making your brain think that, oh, my dad, my dad's fine. He's back at the truck looking for me. Like, I got to stay alive for him. Yeah, that can keep you going. Absolutely. So at uh, about 3.40 p.m. the same day on Tuesday, uh, Cruz got Trevor Higgins uh, out of the woods and took him by helicopter to the U.S. Coast Guard Station in North Bend to be transported to a Bay Area hospital. Uh, Stephanie, the mom of Trevor and the wife of uh, Sean, was at the top of the mountain when word came that Trevor had been found and was being airlifted to the hospital. 
She pleaded to speak with him over the radio to hear his voice, uh, but they uh, d- declined uh, her request. So she ended up meeting Trevor at the hospital. He was, like we said, hypothermic, and his kidneys and liver were shutting down. Uh, but doctors said he would make a full recovery. So, and he, Trevor even noted that the doctors let him eat a bacon cheeseburger. Oh, so it must have tasted so fantastic. Can you imagine how good that tasted? Like five <laughs> days of, of no food, cold. cold. Oh, <clears throat> it was the best probably bacon. It makes me think of the scene from Iron Man when he gets back from being like caught by the terrorists and he just eats a, like a Whopper sitting on the floor of the press conference. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's just eating burgers the whole time. I mean, we've, we've picked out after hiking trips. Oh, I've picked out. So yeah. like all the weight I've lost, I gained back oh, the yeah. first meal. You, yeah, it's, it's delicious though. <laughs> it Amazing. is Amazing. Um, so Stephanie returned, you know, after meeting her son and making sure he was okay, Stephanie returned to the mountain later that day. Uh, even though there was, so even though there was no reason to suspect foul play, she started kind of, you know, suspecting something might have happened. So we'll get into more of that into the theories, but. Okay. Um, so it is now October 25th, 2016, and unfortunately this is the day the Sheriff's Department suspended the search for Sean Higgins. Uh, they went on to say, in the 11 days since he disappeared, search teams had uncovered no trace of him and were no closer to knowing where he might be. With so much time having passed, the odds were against his survival. Uh, so in all, this was a pretty massive uh, search and rescue operation. They utilized over two to 300 searchers per day at, at its peak. They yeah, had it was dro- 11 days. Yeah, they had drones in the air. They had helicopters when the weather permitted, and they had several K-9 units um, scouring the ground. But as you can imagine, with that kind of terrible weather, it would be probably really tough for any kind of dog unit to... Yeah, pick up on especially based on what the terrain sounds like. Yeah, so uh, over the next couple of months, she and family members returned to the mountain every weekend, searching areas that might have been overlooked. Uh, but by early December, snow had blanketed the mountain, halting their efforts. But they continued to talk about coming back out there in the spring. Um, so it's now early June of 2017. Uh, Once the snow had melted off the top of the mountain, Trevor and about a dozen of Sean's friends hiked down into the canyons beginning in the deepest, darkest holes. Trevor was nervous about going back into the woods again. He was quoted saying, I don't know if I would want to see his body if he wasn't alive, which I don't blame him. That would be... I I can't believe he went down just like him, maybe having a little PTSD from having to survive there himself. Yeah. Uh, So Stephanie, meanwhile, waited at the top of the mountain, hoping for news. After three days, the group had found nothing. Uh, she was quoted as saying, it's weird, it's confusing, it's frustrating, it's heartbreaking. I just really, really like him and want him to come back. So, um, and then, of course, you know, Oregon law requires, Oregon, I said it wrong. You did. Oregon. You yourself. I know. Oregon law requires that five years pass before a missing person can be considered uh, legally dead, which means Sean's family cannot collect his life insurance or even sell his truck unless a body is found. And I mentioned that just because uh, some of the news articles I read mentioned that after Sean had went missing, uh, Trevor and Stephanie fell on some pretty tough times because he was kind of the sole breadwinner. Yeah. Um, so they were having some pretty hard financial times, uh, uh, you know, af- after the period of Sean's disappearance. So um, I don't know how they're doing today, but uh, that's tough. Yeah, it is. Um, so as I wrap up the timeline... Um, I really just had one observation and we've made this before in other cases, but 
you know, Sean had layers of clothing. He had a gun, bullets. Um, nothing was ever found. None of his clothing. A gun is not going to easily wash away. They're pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to degrade. Yeah, it'll survive time. the elements pretty well. Yeah, as soon as the snow melts, you'll see it. It. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just strange that nothing was ever found of him. Um, and this isn't necessarily terrain like our previous episode two episodes ago with um i was named dave cook i think so and the terrain he was climbing in was very rugged yeah. mountainous this area is you know mountainous but it's not it's not technical it, it the foliage is a lot thicker so yeah. that could have played a role so i'm starting to get into theories but yeah <laughs> um why don't we just jump into theories okay let's uh, do it so i'll quickly just uh give a statement from the Curry County Sheriff and then um, a statement from Tara Fisher, which is Sean's sister. And then we can go into what we think might've happened. So okay. uh, Curry County Sheriff's theory on what happened to Sean is pretty basic. They uh, obviously the case is still open and active, but they believe that he succumbed to the elements um, mm-hmm. while he was out there. And, you know, maybe someday his remains will be found, but that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty Good guess what happened. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a more, that's probably the most logical explanation. Yeah. So Tara Fisher, she was quoted as, and this is a direct quote from her, there have been countless stories and rumors over the years about what could have happened to her brother. Stories from drug cartels to Bigfoot. Some people believe Sean fell into a ravine so treacherous it wasn't reachable by uh, search crews. Others believe he's not even in the woods at all anymore. So that just shows you a lot of, it's such a strange case. People really don't know what could have happened to him. Yeah. Um, you know, for me personally, I think, uh, you know, he, he could have fallen into some kind of ravine, like she said. Um, we've talked about in the past where um, when people get, you know, severely hypothermic, they might try to burrow down yeah. to get away from the elements. <clears throat> Perhaps yep. maybe he burrowed down into some kind of cave or something which hampered the ability of search crews to find him. Mm-hmm. Um, cougar attack. Now, full-grown man, 6 feet tall, 210 pounds at full strength, is yeah, not going to get taken down. But if he's if he's severely hypothermic and near death... Yeah, if he's weak, for sure. Weak, I, maybe a cougar might attempt, or a mountain lion might attempt to attack him. Mm-hmm. But, again, you would see evidence of that. Yeah. No, so, I agree. Yeah, I think you'd find, you know, the shredding of clothing, blood stains, things like that. Yeah. So, Especially against snow. Yeah. Um, though it was raining a ton when he went missing, so that could okay. wash away stuff too. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. What do you think happened? <laughs> I I, I kind of want to go with the sheriffs. I think it sounds like the how thick the forest is. If you trip, fall, injure yourself... Um, you could get stuck in some pretty bad place, pretty bad places. Um, I'd say outside of that, you know, it sounds like he was experienced. So I don't feel like it was a got lost type of thing. I think maybe he was hiking and like got hurt. Yeah. Maybe tripped and hit his head and got knocked out or had a heart attack or something like that where he became incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And then if you're on the ground and you can't move anywhere and you're under brush, it's going to be hard to find you. I, I just feel like that's the most reasonable thing that could happen. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think all those are reasonable uh, theories. 
I think, too, he obviously didn't have his GPS with him. And just by the fact that he's hunted so many times in this area, perhaps he he made it out there. You know, he tied up the ribbons and he got to his spot and then he got turned around and kind of did the same thing like his son did. He's like, oh, you know, I think the road's that way. Mm-hmm. So he started hiking and may, maybe it was, you know, if it's a clear sunny day, you can pretty much, you know, tell east and west. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's not a secret to anybody. Yeah. Um, but if it's overcast or, you know, raining, uh, you could get turned around and think you're going west when you could be going east or north. I mean, so I'm wondering if maybe he got turned around, started walking in the wrong direction, and then, unlike his son, didn't stop and set up camp and kept going. And maybe yeah, I can see that. walked right out of the search area, it got dark, and then he may have injured himself. Like in the dark. Well, how about how about this? I didn't even think about this. They're hunting, right? Yeah. What happens if he shoots something, especially a, a deer? You're gonna have to track it. Yeah. So he could have been on his normal path, uh, shoots a deer, and then goes to track it. So yeah. maybe, and the deer are gonna go downhill. They're yeah. not gonna climb uh, if he hits something. So he could be way off course tracking an animal that he shot, and then gets injured. Yeah, and then that could happen, and he might be way <laughs> off of. That could explain why, like, the ribbons ended. Yeah. He still couldn't find them. Like, he could have shot something and went to track it, and they could run for 100 yards. Yeah, and uh, even, I mean, it could go even farther. Yeah, oh, and yeah. then he'd walk right out of the search area. Yes. And then because of the weather, they they weren't able to get helicopters up right away, which might impede on, you know, finding him. And if he was tracking it into the night, I could easily see something happen, happening where he gets injured or falls into a ravine at that point, or... Yeah, my guess is with cold weather, he probably wouldn't want to trek in the night, but if he got lost at that point. Yeah. Like, tracked it and then got turned around because the weather's coming in. Yep. That could make it difficult. Because, yeah, if it's cold, you don't have to worry about gutting the animal right away. Yeah. Unless it's, like, a hot day. Um, yeah. I think those are the most plausible. What's your off the deep end? Off the deep end. Off the deep end. Um, I mean, maybe there's a serial killer in the mountains that got him. Okay. And that's why we can't account for any of his gear. Yeah. Like he was abducted. Um, uh, maybe it was Bigfoot. Maybe. I, I, no, I, I I think the deep end would be a serial killer. Um, there are stories of crazy people living in the, you know, the mountains. So yeah. perhaps that's what happened to him. I would agree with you on that one. I think there's no sign or weird, suspicious thing that's happening outside of like it's if it was like perfectly beautiful, clear days and everything like that, that's when it would be easier to go off the deep end. Yeah. But with all the facts that align up, like the point, like it was so difficult to search the entire time. Yeah. Just being battered down with bad weather. Um, I think the only off the deep end could be something like that. Yeah. Uh, like a drug thing. Like, I don't know why they'd be out there at that time of year. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. It, but like, yeah, if it's or if it's just a crazy person. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one for the deep end. Yeah. But I, I think the most plausible is probably, uh, I, I like the idea that he actually shot a deer and with all the, the creeks and rivers, you know, rushing, like they mentioned in the, the timeline, uh, they may not have heard a gunshot. I mean, I've been up North during deer season and it's usually pretty easy to hear gunshots off in a distance, but not in thick woods though. That's the thing with how they're thick. They're saying it is. Yeah. I mean, he could hear dogs barking, but they couldn't hear him whistle. Yeah. And I mean, if, if it's really windy and it's coming, rain is coming down and 
the rivers are you know swelling with water and flowing. It's, it's loud. loud. It's very loud. They it's may not, not super peaceful, quote unquote. Because there, nowhere in the story did they mention anything about hearing a gunshot. But that doesn't mean he didn't shoot a deer. Yeah, or if he was lost, if he's smart, what uh, Hunter's always taught, three shots. Mm -hmm. Things in threes. When you're lost, things in threes. Well, and the son did that, and no one heard it. Exactly. I mean, they didn't find him until a couple days after He did shoot when a helicopter was over. That's the, it's like almost like you should have waited until it was gone. Yeah. Because that's, the helicopter's louder. Probably should have done it when he heard the people talking. That's what I was thinking. Like, if you hear voices, like, start shooting a gun off. Yeah. So. And I know we're going to get backlash, and people will say, you can't just shoot a gun off into the air, but uh, when you're lost in the woods, yeah, yeah. or I mean, discharging the ground or something. But I, yeah, I mean, we obviously know that what goes up must come down, and if you're shooting bullets into the air, the lead will eventually come back down and could injure somebody. But that remote of an area, obviously, you wouldn't fire the gun in the direction of where you heard sounds. From. Yeah, yeah, they're saying straight up in the air. Yeah, we are always taught that in hunter safety. It's threes. If you yeah. can get a campfire, do three campfires. Like, so if people see three, that's like a, cause it's weird. Yeah. Like if you saw like three campfires right next to each other, like, that's odd. Why do they have yeah. three right there? Yeah. So that's what they say. Like you're supposed to do things in threes. So like you take three shots, but yeah, I think the Mythbusters did that where they shoot a bullet up and the velocity coming down. Cause it just tumbles. Yeah. It'd be like getting hit in the head with a marble. Well, I mean, and if you're worried about it, you could shoot it fired into the ground. Yeah. Um, but I think Trevor probably at this point has just wanted to get found. Yes. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. I'd be shooting off in the air, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I think uh, he probably, his dad either wandered off, you know. I think he got injured while looking for a kill. Okay. That would be the most, because if you're on, if he knows the areas, the only time that would be like, okay, where would he have a mistake? Probably going off. What like quote unquote trails? And maybe he shot the deer towards the end of the day, and probably should have just let it go. Yeah, but it was. And you pick up, the, pick up the. Uh, you know what? If it's raining, he might be more like, "Hey, I better get the blood trail now." Yeah, and mark it before. But yep. Okay, so I think it this could have been like the perfect storm of just like bad luck. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, I think he wandered out of the search area, probably looking for a kill, and yeah. uh, got injured. I think so too. So. Let us know what you think. But uh, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing Locations Unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We do have the YouTube channel that you can subscribe to now as well for other video content. Uh, If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can visit our Facebook store, buy some cool swag and merch. Also at our website at locationsunknown.org.com.org. Uh, otherwise you can donate to our Patreon account and get all these sweet additional episodes as well as signing up for YouTube's, uh, what, what do they call that? Just YouTube, subscription YouTube members, YouTube members. So you can be a patron or a YouTube member of ours. Yes. And, um, that's another way to support the show and you get extra content. That's cool. You'll get have a bunch of extra episodes up to like up 23, to 24, 24. Yes. So there you go. If you didn't start now, you get 24 new episodes to binge. Yes. And just remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.